Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. New rules for financial advice are finally announced, but will they mean we get a better deal? Fund managers are going back into commercial property, so should you follow them? And what a difference six months makes to funds of hedge funds. All of this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Charlene Goff. Hello. Alice Ross. Hello. And our special studio guest, Adrian Lowcock, Senior Investment Advisor at advice firm Best Invest. Hello. So let's start then with this week's money news. On Thursday, the Financial Services Authority announced its long-awaited proposals for how financial advice should be given in future. They included new rules to ensure people can clearly identify and understand the type of advice that they're being offered, uh, to remove the commission bias from the advice process by telling investors up front how much advice is going to cost them and how they will pay for it, and also to force advisors to take professional qualifications equivalent to the first year of a degree. Alice, all of this sounds like good news and certainly stronger stuff in terms of the uh, the proposal being made than um, we may have expected. Yeah, I think it did look quite strong. It just came out uh, this morning and previous proposals that we've seen on this retail distribution review, that's what they're calling it, the RDR, um, it originally came out in 2006. And we've seen a couple of updates on it since then. And they've always contained these really kind of vague terms and these uh, ways of classifying advice like guided sales and uh, you know, things that unlimited advice that just wasn't very clear what was meant by it. And today they've come out and said, look, we're just going to separate it into independent advice and restricted advice. And the two categories seem to make sense to me anyway. Well, yes, they make it quite clear that uh, anything that isn't independent, i.e. it is now called restricted advice, will be from somebody who's only recommending products from one provider or from a limited number of providers, which has been the case, but has never been clear. Exactly, yeah. And and also, I think there's always been this, as you say, people just advising products from one provider or arrangement, but what they were called was a bit confusing. So that used to be called tied advice or multi-tied advice. And I, I mean, if you're not familiar with financial advisors, that doesn't really mean much to you. Restricted advice, I think, makes it a lot clearer that the advice you're getting isn't from the entire universe of products. 
That's one of the, the key proposals. I think the most significant one, well, for me certainly, is this um, statement uh, that the FSA is seeking to end the commission-based system whereby advisors receive money from product providers um, for selling their products. If you think about it, you could argue that every mis-selling scandal there has ever been has involved commission to uh, a greater or lesser extent. This has also got to be very good for uh, investors and consumers. This is really good news, I think, and it is the main reason that they're actually doing this review is to try and remove this commission bias, um, which often, again, isn't very clear. Um, some products basically pay much higher commission to advisors than other products. Some investment bonds, for example, will pay the advisor 8% commission. And what do you know? These bonds get in recommended left, right and centre by advisors because they're taking 8% commission. And that's not always clear to the consumer that that's what's going on, basically, and this is what they're trying to end. And they've been very firm about that. Indeed, and the, and the wording's uh, very firm. In fact, I'd like to sort of bring in um, Adrian here. Um, the wording in the recommendations is that the FSA is going to ban advisor firms from recommending products that automatically pay commission. In sort of plain English, what's that going to mean in practice when you go and see your advisor? Uh, it should hopefully mean that you get the right product that suits you and not the product that pays the advisor the most commission. Um, so it, it's good news, and hopefully, you know, by having a firm stance, they actually take a, a strict line on it as well. So there's there's no sort of murking of the water. It's black or white. The product's recommended for the right reasons. The advisor gets paid the fees for the advice. And, of course, uh, the other part of the proposal is this professional qualifications and the, the establishment of a professional standards board. Um, how many advisors have you come across who have a qualification to the level of a, a degree? Uh, there's a lot of qualifications out there and I think many advisors do have the standard that's required um, but it, it's just bringing everything into line as the years have changed and the qualifications have come in depending on when you join the industry really depends on whether or not you had a qualification or not. So that just tidies all that up and brings, brings the high standard up to a minimum now. And Alice, just finally, um, when are these proposals going to come in? Have we got consultation first? Yeah, more consultations, but the idea is 2012. So and also all advisors will have to have these new exams by then as well. So not long to go before we get a truly independent, non-commissioned biased system, we hope. Mm. Uh, well, thank you very much for that um, Alice, and uh, you can read more on the uh, financial advice proposals and what they'll mean for you in FT Money with this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question about your investments or the advice that you've been given, just email us at money at ft.com. Still to come, why are funds of hedge funds attractive again just six months after their near collapse? First, though, commercial property. Back in 2007, everyone wanted to invest in commercial property. For 19 consecutive months to August of that year, commercial property funds were the best-selling in the UK, attracting more money than any other sector. Then came the credit crunch. Property valuations plummeted. Investors ran for the exit, uh, only to find themselves locked in because fund managers just couldn't sell property fast enough. Now, though, some fund managers believe commercial property has bottomed out. And, Charlene, you've been talking to some of these managers. Um, do you think the bottom has been hit for commercial property? Well, I think the commercial property prices started falling far before residential property prices started falling. And they have taken an incredibly sharp drop 
in the last two years. So a lot of commercial properties are now selling for 45, 50% less than they were at the peak back in 07 uh, or 06, actually, I think the peak was. Um, so there, there is a, a growing feeling that the falls are starting to ease off. Maybe we're not quite at the bottom. There is still a bit of gloom coming in, particularly in sectors like retail, with big names going going bankrupt. Uh, but there do seem to be opportunities emerging. I think it might be the fund managers spotting those before retail investors come back in. A lot of them have had their fingers burnt. Adrian, is there any sign that retail investors are finding new opportunities in commercial property yet, do you think? I think for the retail uh, investors, it's really having to trust a professional manager because the, the, the property market is very spread out. There's a lot of different things you need to look at. Um, I mean, they, investors and the professional investors are looking at prime property, uh, which could either mean a good quality building, but it also needs to be the, the right tenant. Uh, so a tenant that's not likely to, to go bankrupt and therefore have all the offices emptied out. Um, so there is opportunity, but you need a good fund manager to actually find that because it's not all one way at the moment in this market. And how do the funds compare? Because I think there are some that are that are still imposing lock-ins and investors are actually trying to get out rather than come in. There's some I was speaking to, uh, the manager of the Threadneedle Retail Property Trust, and he was saying that the fund had remained, uh, it, had, it still had a, a lot of cash and it could go out there and buy and it had not had to suspend redemption. So are there sort of contrasting fortunes there? I think so. I mean, there, there's funds that have got uh, sort of cash position, haven't had to have the, the, the lockings because if, if they did have a, a net outflow, they had the cash to actually pay that out. The ones with the, the, that were fully invested, they're the ones that have the problem if, if, if they've got an outflow. Um, so there are still some funds out there. I mean, the new Star International property is locked in till the end of this year, by which point you might rather be in it than out of it anyway. Um, but things like the Threadneedle Fund and the Swift Property Trust, so they've got cash. Uh, so if they can find good investment opportunities, they can get a good yield and a good tenant, then they will find the opportunity and, and, and to hopefully take advantage of it. Yeah, and I think there are some incredibly good yields available now. If you're buying at these cheap prices, I think uh, this fund manager was saying that they could achieve yields of 8 or 9%, whereas before it would have been more like 5%. That was for prime retail. Is that the sort of thing you're seeing? I, I think so. I mean, 8 or 9% is probably a good average to get on, on a property fund uh, or a, a property rental yield at the moment. The uh, the key thing with these funds is that the capital value has discounted any defaults, so any drop-in uh, tenancy rates and that, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but the income hasn't quite uh, caught up with that. That will only catch up once the, the default rate actually um, peaks. Uh, so they uh, that yield might come down as 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 we see more more bankruptcies, uh, which I think is likely to happen. We may see the market bottom out about the end of this year. And do you have a view as to where the problems could come from now? Is it likely to be retail, or do you think there could be growing problems in in the office sector? Uh, I think retail uh, is is a risky sort of sector for it. Um, the office sector, I think it's regional. Um, there's still sort of some concerns over the city of London, uh, and so that that could have a, a similar sort of problems that we saw in the 1990s which was very severe um you've still so retail and and office it depends on the areas but retail is probably the big the big area across across the country with uh, offices in london being a, a target and if you are a private investor looking to go into one of these funds i mean they could be quite driven by the income particularly with the 
the lack of income elsewhere in bank accounts and saving accounts, for example. I mean, could you expect ever to see the kind of returns that these funds were generating back in their boom time of 2006, 2007, when I think it was sort of 17, 18, even higher sort of percent a year? Do you think they could get back to that? It's going to be a long while in coming. The recovery is going to be quite anemic. Um, so you might get a yield of 8 9% over the next couple of years, but I wouldn't expect to see growth for the, for the for the coming years, maybe in the future, though. But it still looks quite good compared with what you can get elsewhere. The yield is very attractive. So if you want to lock it in, not nothing too exciting in terms of capital returns for a few years, but a good yield. So we could see a growing number of opportunities there, but investors should be selective and look closely at the funds they're going into. Always uh, good advice. Thanks very much, uh, Charlene and uh, Adrian. And uh, if you'd like more details of the funds uh, moving back into commercial property and some of those yields on offer, look out for Charlene's article in FT Money this weekend and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, funds of hedge funds. Six months ago, in the depth of the financial crisis, funds of hedge funds witnessed an exodus of investors. Their share prices hit rock bottom in December last year after they were forced to sell investments into a falling market to reduce their debt, and they were then hit by the Bernard Madoff scandal. Prices fell so low that uh, some of them were 40% below the value of the assets held by the funds. But already some investors are seeing this as an opportunity. Um, Alice... It only seems like yesterday that uh, these funds of hedge funds were so out of favour. Um, what is the opportunity now? Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, the opportunity lies in the fact that they are still mostly out of favour. Um, while the discounts were huge last December, which was when they hit rock bottom over 40%, I think a couple even had 50% discounts to net asset value, um, they haven't come in as much as might have been hoped. So they're still over 20% now, six months later, even though the worst of all the deleveraging is probably over, everyone says. Um, because a lot of the people that bought fund of hedge funds, wealth managers and private client brokers, are scared to go near them again because they have such a bad reputation. Um, but a lot of these funds, well, not a lot, but a few, their net asset value has been rising this year, while the discount has still remained very wide. So if you buy in now uh, with the share price so low, you could see quite a good uplift. So what's going to um, narrow the discounts. Uh, if, if the prices fell to as much as 40% below the value of the assets, what's going to see the price move back up more in line with the with the asset value? Are the, are the, are the funds themselves doing anything about this? Uh, yeah, the funds are doing things. Um, some of them are doing tender offers, um, buying back shares. So that's having a bit of a, an effect. Some of um, the ones that have done it recently, uh, GS Dynamic, FRM Credit, they have seen uh, their tender offers oversubscribed, so people are very keen to do this. So that should help to bring discounts back in. Um, then you've also got these discount players, so institutional guys who are going in and buying uh, these funds in the hopes of putting pressure on the board to narrow the discounts. Um, and that uh, should be good news for the other private shareholders in the funds because they'll also get the uplift. Now, I remember talking to an investment advisor um, some months back who was actually saying that he thought the opportunity was in these funds ceasing to exist, winding up. 
Because that's, that's another way, isn't it, of uh, potentially making a profit. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, I mean, um, basically, if a fund says that it's going to wind up and return the capital to shareholders, it's likely that they will get that capital back at something closer to net asset value. So if you've bought in at a discount of 30%, you could, in theory, see an uplift closer to net asset value just by virtue of the fund winding up. But the big problem with that is that um, because these funds are invested in hedge funds that are very illiquid, it could take a long time to get your money back. So if you have any need of the money in the near future, even in the next year or two, that wouldn't be a good idea. It would only be if you could afford to leave your money in it for a while. That's a bit of a long-term play. Is there, just very quickly, any sort of simple advice you can give to people? Because hedge funds can be notoriously opaque and very, very hard to know what's in them. What should you look out for? Well, one thing actually that the industry has been improving this year is um, telling shareholders more about what they actually hold in the funds. Uh, so Dexy and Absolute, for example, which is the biggest fund of hedge funds, has been giving um, updates just in its monthly fund fact sheets, same as any other fund, in terms of what its underlying holdings are. So if you look at that, you can get an idea of how liquid the fund is and how safe its underlying investments are. So if you're going to buy a fund of hedge funds, you should definitely keep an eye on that. Then, uh, well, I think I shall. <laughs> not, not, not that I have the money to invest in a fund of hedge funds right, right now. But uh, thanks very much for that, Alice. And for more on uh, funds of hedge funds, trading at uh, discounts and offering opportunities, uh, look out for Alice's article in FT Money this weekend. But that's all for this week's FT Money show. Remember that you can read the latest news every weekday on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can send in your questions and your comments on the show to our email address, money at ft.com and don't forget that you can read the second part of our new series on diy financial planning with this weekend's ft we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from alice charlene and our special guest adrian lowcock of best invest goodbye did you know the capital ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by capital group ceo mike gitlin through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.